This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. On this episode, we've still got our dancing shoes on and we'll keep the March Madness talk going after Georgia State punched their ticket to the 2022 NCAA tournament by winning the Sunbelt Tournament in Pensacola. Elsewhere in the world of athletics, it was a mixed bag, as baseball had a perfect week of games, while a slew of frustrating coaching moves were announced on the football side of things. We'll talk about it all. But first, basketball. So let's go ahead and go into our further thoughts on the tourney win and the season overall, and then talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament, uh, sub-regional seating, and all that good stuff. Gentlemen, I know you got thoughts. What you got? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit like, obviously, if you're looking for some of the specific insights on any of the games from the tournament, we did post game pods for all three games. Those are still in your feeds. And I'd like to say they were good analyses and it especially kept aging good as we were spelling out why the team was going to keep winning and it happened. Um, But my thoughts as we've moved past the initial have kind of moved back to just, you know, what this is all about, which is the student athletes getting to have this moment. And I'm just thrilled for all the players and especially the two super seniors that came back Kane and Corey especially with the moments they had in the tournament to get the team across the finish line and you know my thoughts keep just going back to that reaction from Ellie the immediate reaction he had when the clock hit zero is exactly what college basketball it's why it's so good it's so it was so raw it was so emotional it was just the perfect outpouring of immediate reaction to this happened we did this thing and so that's that's where my thoughts are now yeah that emotion from elio was great you know it was so him and you know it was really nice to see just that moment and I I loved kind of just where coach was because even coach who is his normal you know stoic self but you know always Thinking of a nice quote to say to people, even in his post game, you know, right on the court there, he was still kind of congratulatory of the players and still kind of cracking some jokes um, at, at his team's expense. But that was a really good moment all around for Georgia State. And, you know, I, I I say I feel bad for other schools for not getting to share that moment because Georgia State has been so, you know, dominant since they've returned to the Sun Belt. But I mean, like. This this is the standard, you know, like we, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but coming into the season, it really is, you know, NCAA tournament or bust for this group. And, you know, with all of the seniors coming back, with all of the experience, with all of the expectations after last year, you know, to see them achieve, you know, that baseline goal, it is still nice. It's nice to see that. You know, and like when Coach Lanier got here, he mentioned that, you know, the goal is they want to win games in the NCAA tournament. It's not just about getting there. It's about, you know, being competitive. And, you know, since then, there hasn't been an NCAA tournament trip until now. So it is still nice that, you know, they are able to figure out where that mountain is and still, you know, kind of reach some of the goals on there. But, you know, like Kobe would say, the job's not finished yet. Yeah, and I guess... Kind of on something you were talking about there, I did have just kind of a general discussion point, and I think I know where I land on this question, but I figured I'd put it to the group, so to speak. Is this the most rewarding tournament berth just for the sake of where the team was and where they got to and how it came on late like this and that it didn't feel like it was coming and then suddenly they're cutting down the nets? I think if I take a very literal definition of the word rewarding, I would say so. I feel like they definitely earned this one a little bit more than some of the previous NCAA tournament trips. Um, Had to earn. And yes, you're correct. Like you're correct in that emphasis because, you know, we're talking about a Georgia State team in January, around the middle of January, who was off to their worst start in like conferences, like in Sunbelt history, easily in their Sunbelt history. I think it was Um, 2006 was the last time the conference started in that bad. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that like we even the years where Georgia State kind of took some time to get going, you know, we figured that it wouldn't be as bad as it was. And I mean, it was was pretty bad there, you know, for a stretch. But I think rewarding is a great word to use because they really, you know, kind of found 
different ways to start winning games, you know, and even in that 12 game, excuse me, even in the 10 game winning streak that they're currently on, you know, you can't say that all of their offense has been there every single game as, you know, as much as we would love to sit there and say that that's the case. I think Georgia state has found different ways to win basketball games in the last, you know, month ish, you know, month and change. And that has been, you know, the part of it that's rewarding because they looked at their team halfway through the season and said, okay, we're not playing how we thought we were going to play. So what? So what, you know, we're going to get coached and we're going to change, you know, something about us. We're going to go, you know, turn into a defensive monster of a team. You know, we're still struggling to shoot the ball, but dang it there. This is still a good team and we're going to have to find other ways to win. And that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, I think one school of thought for me is just that the 2015, the first time they went under coach Hunter, the year after the heartbreaking loss to Louisiana in the tournament, I feel like it's hard to meet that level of just, it's different rewarding because it was more kind of like an exhale. Cause it's, you know, it was like, didn't lose two years in a row, like in heartbreaking fashion against two rivals, really at that point when George, Georgia Southern being the team they beat in 2015. But I just, it is just so a credit to the players that at the exact moment, it would have been so easy to check out. They checked all the way in because they were Owen foreign conference and that really could have been it. And yeah, I mean, there are going to be games no matter what. You weren't going to go winless in conference play, but you could have kept languishing around the bottom and losing games that you could have won and not finding a way to solve some of the issues that were happening in close games that you were having that led you to drop those games. But the seniors didn't want to go home without an NCAA tournament berth and really led the way everyone else got on board. And it was really just kind of a, machine towards the end i mean it was never easy all three of the games in pensacola they had to fight for but they were all of one mind that never seemed like there was any expectation and like what i mean by that is like it didn't feel like they took any of the games for granted they were ready to go they knew they had to play hard and coming in on a winning streak that would be your only worry and so a credit to them for that and a credit for the coaching staff for making sure that they were ready and having a good week of practice in the run-up to the games because they got the job done. You know, they did. And I, you know, I really like that point you made about, you know, how close they were in those early conference games. But, you know, I look at con- where the schedule was the whole season for Georgia State, just kind of the big picture. And, you know, one thing to me that's pretty remarkable is the teams that beat Georgia State earlier this year and those frustrating losses – Uh, or, you know, just Georgia State not playing well, there's not a good chance that any of them are really going to be going to March, you know? And I I think think Rhode Island still has to play in their tournament. Um, Georgia Tech got out in the ACC tournament. They're done. You know, Mercer's done. Um, You know, I think Richmond... Still, They're still alive in the A-10, but they're win the tournament or they're not going to go. Well, right. I might go to the NIT, but and you know, and I think the the interesting thing about that is Georgia State looked really bad against some of those teams earlier in the year. And you know, yes, they all had to play their conference schedules. Yes, you know, that's where a majority of their losses come from, and you know, blah blah blah. I understand that, but here we are. Like I remember after that Richmond game how we felt about Georgia State. I remember about after that Rhode Island game how we felt about Georgia State, and just like you know the expectations versus the results of those two games, you know, but now we sit here and it's like, okay, you still ended up achieving the one goal that you had just by virtue of, you know, where you are like Mississippi state's probably not going to the NCAA tournament, you know? And like, that was a terrible game too. Yeah. And I mean, and all of this is the understated part of like, if LAL system is healthy all year, what does the team look like? But at the same time, I don't know. Like it might've still been a struggle and they might've still hit some of the stoppages they did anyway and been without players. And I I feel like it's a hypothetical that isn't worth going into because they still made the tournament anyway. And um, I guess if they could have pulled off one of those wins, they probably are in a different seed conversation that we're going to get into later and not possibly dwelling around the 16 line. But, you know, at a certain point, 
that was always the case is that those were losses and that the resume was not going to be pretty. And it was never going to be about, you know, the achieving of all the top goals where you're winning the conference, you're putting up 25 wins, whatever, playing for a higher seed in the tournament. But they still turned around and got to this point. And that in itself is an achievement. And, you know, you reset next year with once this tournament's done and you're going to have a lot of guys to replace, then it is going to be about getting back to that where you're planning for, hey, we're going to go tear up non-conference. We're going to get back to winning almost all of our conference games, win the tournament, go with the, you know, 12, 13 seed, whatever you want to say. And that's going to be the goal again. Like that doesn't change, but I think you weren't going to really change that reality once the season got to a certain point, but going to the tournament as whatever seed you end up as is still going to be an improvement over the direction the season was going. And it's still positive momentum to build towards to recruit about, you know, that it it is still a huge win in itself, just making the tournament from a recruiting standpoint. And like the point I finished on when we recorded our last pod in Pensacola, three of the last four Sunbelt representatives in the tournament have been Georgia State. So you've still got that momentum going. And that's important, you know, and I, I don't want people to sit here and say, oh, you know, this is just a team that went on a run. You know, they're still not a good team because yeah, I don't think that's true. I think they were a good team that just got bit by some circumstance. And, you know, the way that they have won some of these games down the stretch goes kind of to show you what this team was always capable of. You know, you're right. We can't sit here and play revisionist history and wonder, you know, what do that what does that Richmond game look like with LEL? What does the Rhode Island game and the Mercer game? But I bet you they're more competitive in any way. You know, maybe there's still losses. Maybe the resume from a win-loss perspective doesn't look nearly as bad as it does now. But at the end of the day, this team just kind of took care of business and did what they had to do. And I'm uh, moving kind of along to the future because there is a tournament to talk about. And I feel like we haven't emphasized that quite enough. Um, I just kind of wanted to look at kind of a, the, the most broad view of everything with the possible places Georgia state can go. And it's kind of a broad view because as things stand right now with not really knowing which seed line Georgia state's going to end up on and kind of the entire arsenal of options at the disposal, I could really see Georgia State going to quite a few of the sub-regionals. It doesn't feel necessarily locked in at this point because it'll be different if there are 15 versus a 16. But I just kind of wanted to lay out for people who aren't familiar with how it is going to go that you know there's eight sub-regionals that are going to host the first and second rounds next week. And then from there, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight are all in the regional sites, which are the West, which is hosted in San Francisco this year, the South Regional in San Antonio, the East Regional in Philadelphia, and the Midwest in Chicago. But as far as the first round goes, uh, those designations matter a little bit less, and that just happens to be that they're all our regional sites where the higher seeds or the better seeds kind of get to be where it's close to them so they can travel. And so this, the sites for this year, playing on Thursday and Saturday, Portland, Oregon, Buffalo, New York, Indianapolis, Indiana, in Fort Fort Worth, Texas, and um, and and Friday, you've got Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Greenville, South Carolina, which put an asterisk next to that one, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and San Diego, California. And uh, the reason it's up in the air for me is that you know Gonzaga is going to be probably the number one overall seed, and they're going to play in the Portland subregional. And so, if you're a 16 seed. Chances are it could be you there. I think it's probably going to be one from the first four, but I don't think you can rule out going to Portland. Uh, Indy feels like that's where we're going to be where Kentucky goes and Purdue goes. So if you're a 15 seed, you could probably end up there. It wouldn't shock me at all if Georgia State ends up going to Indianapolis to play Kentucky or Purdue. And Fort Worth is going to be where they put Kansas and Baylor, who are going to be probably one and two seeds you know, Baylor's probably locked in with a one. Kansas might have some room to get to a one, but at worst, they're going to be a two seed. And so, again, you could end up there. And I think all of those are ne- not necessarily great for uh, travel situations. Uh, Greenville's two hours away. It's obviously the best site. But I think Greenville's also the most likely site because 
Auburn as a one seed likely is probably going to end up there. Duke as a two seed is also probably going to end up there. And so they usually do their best they can to have kind of regional connectivity, even if it is about mostly the better seeds getting that. So if Georgia State can get to the 15 or even to say the 16, it, it really wouldn't shock me if they end up in Greenville. And uh, the only other one I really see is likely is Pittsburgh because Villanova might be a two seed and you might play them there. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the way, the way I see it as it plays out with the different sub-regional sites. What do you think has to happen to get Georgia State up there? Like to right, right. just like move up from 16 or wherever. Yeah, so right now... Well, it's really fortuitous time you ask that, David, because we've got a little bit of breaking news on the pod as we record this. This is the beauty of doing stuff live is Georgia State's on the top 16 line. If you look at bracketmatrix.com, which is what I use, it aggregates all of the different bracketologists out there who are doing rankings. They do a good job and it gives you an idea of how close teams are to certain seed lines where they're going to average out. and so. Currently, Georgia State is on the top 16 line and needs help from one of the one seeds in some of the mid-major tournaments to lose. And as it happens, that just happened. Because Iona's the top seed in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, and they just lost to nine-seed Ryder live in front of our eyes as we were recording this podcast. And so I think there's a couple of teams. I haven't dug all the way deep on the MAC, but I think there might be one or two teams that will slide above Georgia State. And if you look at like net and Ken Palm rankings and so it's not a done deal, but a lot of the teams in that conference are lower than Georgia State with, as far as their resume goes. And so as we record this podcast, Georgia State might already be in a place where they have moved up into the 15 line, which, you know, we haven't really talked about preference. And I'll be honest that if you're not a 14 seed or better, it's not a great place to be this year because I think even more than usual, I feel like the national championship runs through the top eight seeds. Like the ones and the two seeds this year are the class of college basketball even more. I don't really see a path for the teams that are a little below that because there's teams in the three, four line, you know, like Texas Tech's a really good defensive team, but offense isn't nearly there. And you flip that around. Purdue is literally the best offensive team in college basketball, but their defense has issues. And so basically no matter way you, no matter what way you slice it, Georgia state's not going to have a good matchup as a 15 seed or a 16 seed. Like there's just a lot of good teams there right at the top, but only one, one seed has ever lost in the first round. And so just by the nature of eight, 15 seeds of one games ever one 16 seed is one ever, like there is still kind of a big difference. Just historically, one seeds have not slipped up. And I think now that it happened, now that UMBC beat Virginia, that is the worst thing that could happen to 16 seeds for at least another 50 years because you don't have to do anything but put on the tape of that game and be like, hey, they lost. You could lose too. Go play. And then 16 seeds haven't won since. First seeds are not, one seeds are not falling prey to that anytime soon, I don't think. So happened live. Georgia State's already in a better place, though we'll see how the rest of that tournament plays out. And I don't think that's the only domino to fall necessarily because a lot of these teams that are the one seeds in their tournaments are pretty good favorites to win their tournaments. It's, you know, just the probability they're really good teams, but the probability of all of them winning, as we just saw with Iona losing, that is a pretty small window. And so Georgia State probably is still going to get help from at least one more spoiler, and that'll make them feel even better. So I did some very quick research uh, using our good friend, Ken Palm. Um, that was helpful that Iona lost. You're absolutely correct. Georgia State is probably not out of the woods yet, though. Um, St. Peter's has a higher Ken Palm rating than Georgia State. Um, it's close. You know, it's not like a terrible. Georgia State is 148 currently, um, and St. Peter is 129. Uh, well, so, if you look at the net, the gap is a little bigger, too. Yeah. St. Peter's I, is 133 in the net. Georgia State is 158. Exactly. And that's that's where I was going next. So I think, you know, th this was a good result. But, you know, Georgia State, 
is going to improve, they're probably still going to need some other help from this conference specifically, as you mentioned. And I've, I've got some more names, too. I mean, well, we don't have any more breaking news of scores that have gone final related to them, but Vermont and the America East, and that's the one I probably rate as the least likely because Vermont's really good in like several classes above the rest of that conference. And so they were currently hammering their team in the semifinals tonight, and so I expect them to keep rolling. But if they lost, whoever would be going from the America East would be a significant lower rated team than Georgia state. So that would help uh, Montana state is currently the big sky regular season champ, the highest they're currently on the 14 seed line, according to bracket matrix. If they lost good chance that whoever represented the big sky would be at a lower seed line than Georgia state. So that would help Colgate is currently, I don't know if that game went final yet, but they were comfortably beating Navy last time I checked. And so that one's probably one you can cross off the list. Colgate's going to go and probably would be a 14 seed or a 15 seed representing the Patriot League. It's not over yet, but they're still up by double digits. I think they'll probably take care of that. We maybe can update that as the pod goes on. And the last one is uh, Long Beach State in the Big West. Uh, They're currently the third 15 seed. I think if basically anyone else in the Big West wins, Georgia State's going to be able to pass them resume-wise. And so Iona, a big one to knock off because I think the chances are whoever wins that now, especially because once the one seed loses in a conference like that, chaos is about to ensue. Like we might get like an eight, the nine versus the seven in the championship, whatever, which I welcome as a fan of a team, you know, not in that conference. Uh, But Still stuff to go on and we're not going to, obviously this election will have happened by the time we do another podcast. So we'll see how all of that plays out. But I do still think in my heart of hearts, Georgia State's in a good place to get onto that 15 seed line. And like I say, I think that's what they want. It's not an escape of a tough matchup because you're still going to have a Duke or a Villanova to deal with in that game. And or Kentucky, who might be the consensus favorite to go on a run here and win the title, cut down the nets. Uh, but I do think it's at least his history tells you it's imminently better. The one more thing I did want to mention here, this is my, it's kind of irrelevant now because Iona news is probably more relevant to reality, but it was a hypothetical I had because we were talking about this in our uh, chat just the craziness that was the A-Sun tournament. And if you weren't following the action with the A-Sun, getting you in the sicko weeds here, uh, thank you for indulging us listeners. Uh, This is what we do for everything. So, But, okay, back on track with this. The A-Sun, Jacksonville and Jacksonville State. And yes, those are the two teams. I can't help that it's confusing all of this that they have similar names. Played in the A-Sun semifinals. And Jacksonville beat Jacksonville State to go play Bellarmine, who is ineligible because they are transitioning from Division Two to Division One. They cannot go to the NCAA tournament. They're in year two of four of transition. They can't go to the tournament until after they clear that period. Jacksonville lost to Bellarmine. But because Jacksonville State won the regular season championship, they're the team that's going to go. Even though Jacksonville beat them, Jacksonville State is going to be the ASUN representative because. The tournament champion couldn't go, so it went to the regular season champion, Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is slightly better if you look at whether you use Kempom or the net rankings than Georgia State. They are one. They are 139 in net versus Georgia State's 158 in net. They are 144 in Kempom's efficiency ratings, while Georgia State is 148. My question is this. Does the committee punish them for not actually winning their conference tournament and getting in on this weird technicality? And it's not really that much of a punishment, you know. It's just kind of a weird thing. I just don't know. Do do we think they'd pull anything there to be like, look, these other teams won their conference tournament and Jacksonville State's entering on a loss? I would 100% be behind this thought or theory, whatever you want to say, but we're still talking about the regular season champion. Um, 
So I feel like we're they'd give them some sort of cushion in terms of punishment because I think you're right. Like if we were talking about you know just another team that made like a good team in that conference that made it to their conference semifinals and then lost and then got in, yeah, I feel like Georgia State because they won the tournament would absolutely probably leap, leapfrog them. Uh, but just given the fact that they you know that was in the regular season the best team in that conference they'll probably give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I am decidedly more on the fence than you. I think it is a rank possibility that it could be the difference. And if I see Jacksonville State as a 16 seed, that's basically the only explanation for me because they've got better resumes than the other teams around them. If you just look at the raw numbers, um, including Georgia State. But it's something that I came up with that I was looking at. I was like, I wanted to throw this out there. And I hope it was worth like three minutes of setup. I feel like it was. I enjoyed talking about that chaotic A-Sun situation that um, we're still a little bit like, I know why the rule exists, but it's kind of a silly rule. But sometimes silly rules give you absolutely fun sports chaos like this. And so ultimately, I'm a fan because the content's great. Oh, I agree. I, I thought the setup was good. And I mean, it's... It's just such a weird situation, like the whole time watching that game. And I I caught most, if not all of it, just because of how weird it was. You know, it was just like, well, Jacksonville, they just they literally just have to win, like just play a good game of basketball. And the way that they lost that game was because Bellerman just decided that they were going to be an absolutely lights out team from three, you know, like that. It's March like that type of stuff happens all the time or just teams that don't win in certain ways. Just decide, OK, forget everything that happened before. We're just going to go win this now, you know, and, you know, Jacksonville was a team that played really good defense, you know, defending the three. They allowed like 28 percent from behind the arc. And yeah. Yesterday, Bellerman, I think at the half, was shooting in like the 60s on like 15 attempts or something like that. Like it was it was incredible. But, you know, it's, it's March. What, what can I say? I'm a sicko, too. Yeah, let, let us end this section by just us endorsing the idea that you've still got time before Selection Sunday as you're listening to this pod to find random conference tournaments to watch. Obviously, the power conference, you're going to see some fun matchups of good teams and all, but like. It's also fun to just dig into the weeds and just turn on a random one on ESPN Plus. And especially, I would say, because I own a lost in the Metro Atlantic, there might be a lot of fun stuff there. So I still think the first weekend in the NCAA tournament beats conference tournaments by a mile. But I do think that conference tournament basketball does not get its fair share of love. And I would endorse anyone out there who likes college basketball, just learn about a team, tune, on, tune into a game and enjoy the sickoness. I wholeheartedly agree and it frustrates me the like people think that March starts all right it's it's March madness it is the first round of the tournament I would caution people to realize that March actually starts 3 weeks sooner because it the last like two-ish regular season games and then all of the conference tournaments. Sometimes that stuff is nuts and you definitely should be paying attention because the craziness absolutely does not start in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Embrace the sicko's lifestyle. I implore you. So let's go ahead and move on to baseball discussion here the panthers snapped a five game skid on the baseball diamond in a big way sweeping villanova at home over the weekend and driving up to spartanburg to knock off wofford four to one on tuesday afternoon to improve to eight and five on the year in the final stretch before sunbelt play gets underway next weekend gsu will host presbyterian this friday saturday and sunday for three games before heading to clemson for a single game series tuesday at 6 p.m eastern so gentlemen baseball thoughts yeah, I mean, the way the schedule's set up, we've talked about it a couple of times now that it's been kind of uneven where you've had weeks against teams you really should handle, then a road stretch where you played four to three of the five games and you lost all five. And the other two were against good teams in Kennesaw and Georgia Tech. And so sort of been unsurprising results to this point. And that kind of continued with this trend because Villanova is also not a very good baseball team even as good as their basketball team is, it does not translate to the diamond for them. And Wofford not having a super year, but that one was, for me, the one that stood out this week, that you went on the road, you held a team to one run in their home park, 
got the win. And, you know, at the end of the day, no matter who you're playing, pitching staff only gave up five runs in four games. Like that stands up no matter what you're doing, you know, whoever you're playing. And it continues this trend of just a lot of things to like from this pitching staff in the early going. Yeah, I really like this pitching staff in the early going. I feel like they're doing a lot of good things. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised with the offensive production, you know, and like you mentioned, Villanova is probably not the best baseball team, but this is what you're supposed to do, you know, and I think, you know, guys like Dalton Pearson, Max Ryerson, you know, they have been pretty solid at the top of the lineup, you know, pretty solid contributors, you know. I think Pearson had a hit in every game against in Vill- against Villanova. Um, Ryerson had an offer on the second game, but you know, other than that, I mean, you know, three for four on the first game when Georgia state scored 15 runs, you know, and then he was one for five, but he had three RBI in the, you know, the last game and they, Georgia state won eight to four. So, you know, you're definitely getting contributions from a lot of guys at the top of the lineup. And, you know, if you just have that, and Georgia State is able to pitch as well as they have been. I mean, that, you know, you're you've really got the bare bones of a decent team right there. I fully believe that. Yeah, and Ryerson's a guy that we didn't know going into the year exactly what he was gonna do. He's a newcomer to the program and he's come in and taken over a top three spot in the order. Can't stop hitting home runs. He's already got six on the year. Uh Griffin Cheney has four. And yeah, like you say, you've got guys that have been reliable for you hitting at the top of the order. You still got reasons to think you can get more from other guys. You know, we talked about how Josh Smith and Will Mize aren't really hitting like they had been. That trend is sadly sort of continued, but there's obviously still a lot of time. The season is still relatively young. And, you know, this week, it feels like the first real, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, but test in the way of like, you're going to play a team that's got a similar record as you that you think is maybe more on your level than teams like you've hosted like Purdue, Fort Wayne and Villanova. They're going to be seven and six coming in. They dropped a game heavily at home tonight to Western Carolina. It's one where if they win two of three or sweep again at home against a team that's about similar record wise would be a very good outcome would be something a feather in your cap as you get ready to host Little Rock next weekend to start Sunbelt play and Clemson. Um, I haven't checked the current result there. They've playing Michigan state in baseball tonight. And I don't know, as I'm talking right now, how that game finished, but going into the game, they were 11 and 0. Clemson is good baseball program. That's going to be one kind of like that series against Florida that maybe you catch them on the night where you get your bats get going, you catch their bats on a bad night, but you don't necessarily go to that one with the expectation of pulling out a midweek win, but midweek games are always good to, Get guys who aren't necessarily in the Friday rotation, the the weekend rotation, a start, get them throwing pitches, see what happens. And definitely not the same vibe as uh, the rest of these games, you know, against Presbyterian, maybe more evenly matched series or what you played with Villanova. Uh, But still nice to get those tests of really going against the best of the best. Uh, yeah, you know, and before I continue, I will give you that uh, update for Clemson. They were a 4-2 winner against Michigan State. They're 12-0. So, yeah, they are still perfect. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, Georgia State has a pretty tough seven-game stretch coming up. Um, you know, you've got the Presbyterian, the Clemson, and then you, you, know, you kind of start Sunbelt play with Little Rock before you host Georgia for a, you know, a one-off game. But if Georgia State is able to win three of those, I think you still look at them in a pretty good light, just kind of like how we're looking at them right now. You know, they definitely, I mean, it'd be nice if they won all of them, but, you know, you don't have to win all of them in order for you to set yourself up for both a good season this year. And, you know, like we said, like they're still trying to build towards that future. So I think, you know, this is a good stretch for them to kind of see, you know, are we for real? Were we just beating up on some bad teams? Like, you know, where is this team and what is kind of the lay of what the said, this, the entire schedule is going to be. All right. And finally this week, we've got football and boy, do we, the coaching carousel rages on Georgia state is once again, having to fill their staff after defensive line coach Travian Robertson and newly minted running backs coach and special teams coordinator Iman Nagavi both left for jobs at Tulane and the backbreaker new offensive coordinator Josh Stepp took the vacant tight ends coach job at Louisville. 
This will leave the Panthers replacing three position coaches, defensive line, running backs, and quarterbacks, and looking for their third offensive coordinator in the last three months. Yes, you heard me correctly. Third OC in three months after Brad Glenn left after the season to take a job at Virginia Tech. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on this? Because I know, I know we've got a lot. Yeah, uh, I think just I, frustrating. I think is the word you used off the top, and that's the most apt word to use because spring practice really was going to be pretty normal. You're going to have chance to give new guys reps in an offense that wasn't going to be too different. And you get this big curveball in the middle of it that the guy who you've promoted to offensive coordinator that was, it was by all accounts, a beloved hire. Like all the players seemed excited to play for Coach Step as offensive coordinator. And uh, now that's not the case. You're going to have to figure out short to medium term, the guy who's going to just be the offensive coordinator for spring practice. And if that isn't going to be the guy for the fall, then you're still going to have to go make that hire. And, you know, I think the first real takeaway is that all three of the people who are leaving, getting good jobs, it's not like you can fault them for the decisions they're making. Money is ultimately the the final thing that matters, the, the most thing that matters most because you're providing for your families. And all of them got raises. And so if you want to look at what the this situation where you've got three coaches leaving in spring practice really says, it's that other places have bigger assistant pools than you. And that there's a risk of this continuing to happen so long as that's the case. And so you can't really ever prevent guys from leaving, you know, coaching turnover is just a part of it. And there's always going to be someone that has more money, but that is going to be the one way to shore up this not happening in the future is having more money, spreading the dough a little bit more. But obviously that is easy for me to say. Yeah, we here at Thursday night do nothing but pocket watching. So <laughs> that is easy for you to say. Um, yeah, I have, you know, a similar thought about it. And I'll, I guess I'll start with uh, Coach Steph because, you know, that one I feel like stings a little bit more um, than the other two. You know, obviously, I anybody who knows me knows that I'm very big, late, you know, I'm pro labor, you know, pro, you know, figure out what you're worth and go seek that, whatever that number is. And, you know, hopefully somebody is willing to pay that. But, um, oh, you know, like obviously Coach Step doesn't necessarily owe anybody anything. Uh, but like you mentioned, you know, the team had such a positive vibe after the announcement. And, you know, everybody I, I personally thought that Georgia State was going to seek uh, a replacement for, you know, Coach Glenn outside of, uh, you know, the coaches that were already on staff. So when they announced coach stuff, I was a little bit surprised personally, but um, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I wish it didn't happen this way necessarily, but you know, happy for him and his family. And, you know, hopefully he gets a good opportunity and sticks around at Louisville for a while. But uh, you know, as far as Travion Robinson and Amon Agavi, I mean, those are losses for Georgia state as well. You know, I think, I think people have this idea that coaches are just voices and that's it. Like anybody can come in and if they're saying the same message, then boom, that's all it takes. But, you know, you look at the work that Robertson did and, you know, I don't think it's, it's a surprise that Georgia state's offense or defensive line has been so dominant the last two years, you know, and I would imagine that he is a big reason why that's been the case. So, uh, it sucks. It's definitely bittersweet. And I hope that the guys on the team, you know, are still able to find a coach that they connect with and it's still helpful for them to, you know, further their careers. But, you know, the Panther Express is just going to keep on keeping on without these, you know, fine coaches. So, yeah, I mean, the other side of the coin with the defensive line coach is that whoever is going to get the job is going to inherit one of the most talented position groups on the roster. And so, I think that he was a part in molding all of them, and definitely it's going to be a loss. But you still have guys, you know, Thomas Gore still got two years. You got a lot of guys coming back in all the positions there. And, you, and we've seen how important that group is to the success. And so we know that there's talented guys. It's probably going to be an a, attractive position coaching job to get. And as the team keeps winning, I mean, I think that the number of guys interested in Georgia State as a place to come coach has increased in the last couple of years versus maybe when some of these jobs opened for the last time. So in some ways 
you can look at the positive side of that and say you might have better candidates than you once had. And that's a suggestion of progress. And I think that that's true. I think another thing unrelated to the money side of things is just like, I personally don't like the way this carousel has gone into where not just Georgia state losing coaches in spring practice, but like lots of coaches, you know, app state had to replace their offensive coordinator in the middle of spring practice. It happened all all over the country. And if if Georgia State's making these hires anytime soon, they're probably going to do it to someone else for getting these coaches because, you know, they've got to make these hires and they're probably going to be in the middle of their springs too. And obviously coaches, there's no way to like legislate this to where it's like there's periods where coaches can come and go because that gets into, there's labor implications that wouldn't fly. But like, it felt like maybe there used to be a, a gentleman's agreement or whatever, um, and the coaching carousel wasn't nearly as crazy as it's been in recent years. And particularly, I mean, this there's a, a chance that this is the outlier and that coaching kind of returns to somewhat normal just because of the number of jobs and like the marquee jobs that open that led to openings of other schools, led to position coaches leaving all over the place. Maybe it returns to normal. I don't know that I believe that that's going to happen, but I just don't love that this trend is happening where so many coaches are leaving at this point of the year and it's making what is usually just a nice transition. Okay. Get the people who knew the program learning the offense. Don't get hurt. It turns it into, you know, you might have to retool some stuff on one side of the ball in ways that spring practice isn't necessarily supposed to be all the way about. It's not supposed to be something where it's like, all right, well, we had this offensive coordinator that we had lined up and now we've got to maybe learn a whole new offense. And I'm interested to see how that goes. You know, I think the new offensive line coach, John Holt's got coordinating experience. So it really wouldn't shock me if he just kind of stewards the offense for the next couple of weeks for through the spring game. I don't, I don't think there's necessarily going to be a rush to hire a new offensive coordinator tomorrow just because you need to have someone in immediately. Like I think that you can make do for now. And you know, that is the other part of it is that especially as far as coach step goes, this is like the least bad time. If you were to say you're going to lose your offensive coordinator in the middle of your spring practice, because the team is about to go on a break because of spring break until the 22nd. And so there will be a little time now for the coaches to get together, kind of figure out their path through the rest of the spring practice. And so it didn't have to happen, but if it did have to happen, this wasn't the worst time for it in the middle of this because you are about to have a big week off where you can kind of game plan it. But yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, obviously those hires are going to come not too long because you're not going to want to put off hiring coaches. You know, you don't, you want to have your staff in place by the time everyone's reporting at the beginning of next summer. But I I don't really know what the timeline is going to be on the hires. Uh, We'll see if there's a, a, a reshuffle after the reshuffle and see, you know, if Dan stays a tight ends coach, see what happens with who they bring in. But yeah, I, best of luck to Coach Step, Coach Nagavi, Coach Robertson. At the end of the day, they're making moves for the betterment of themselves. And they definitely earned spots at good schools and good programs because of the work they've done at Georgia State. All right, so now seems like a good time to go ahead and introduce a listener question from this week. Uh, Carlos on Twitter uh, is asking, will the assistant coaches leaving affect next year's football season? So I know we talked a little bit about that, but uh, what are you guys' thoughts? Initially, I mean, the answer is it very well could because, like I said, turnover is a part of this. You know, there's always going to be staff changes every offseason for a lot of programs, but there's obviously the risk that this could be too much and it could be a ground shaking event. But the reality is you still have a lot of these talented players that just won eight games. And so it's really not the end of the story that it's just kind of thus as it is written. And I mean, you can look at some examples of like programs that Georgia state would want to emulate like an app state. They've had how many head coaches in the last five years, you know, they've lost offensive coordinators every year. I believe this is now going to be, their fifth offensive coordinator in as many seasons or offensive play caller because it was Satterfield and Drinkwitz when they were the head coaches also. But they have had to learn a new offense, replace a coordinator every year for the last five years. 
and they've managed to be the representative in the Sunbelt Championship game every one of those years. And so, like, there's examples of, like, if you've got that culture in place and you've got the players in place, like, you can ride through something like this. It's going to be a blip. How big of a blip, how much it results in the fall. I mean, at the end of the day, the team's going to be returning as many people as they are in the fall. They're going to be coming off of the momentum of a good season coming into the fall. They're still going to play the games. Like they're still going to get ready. Like there's going to be a staff of 10 guys and by August and they're in, when they're in the the midst of fall camp, it's going to be like the thing that happened so long ago. It's not necessarily going to be the focus of anything anymore. Like it right now feels like the central thing of what's going on in the football program. But yeah, by that point, new staff's going to be in. Everyone's going to be excited to build on what happened last year. And so there's at least enough reason to think that they can get through it. And it still, it would be something, you know, it could be this ground shaking event. And so if they're able to go through and business as usual, it would signify a real step forward for this Georgia state program, which I think we've seen the growth and it would be another indication of that growth. Yeah, I agree. I think it is too early to tell, but you know, there's, there are some signs to suggest that, I mean, I guess this is kind of counter to what I said earlier, but there are some signs to suggest that it could just be another voice will come in and say the same things. And, you know, that, that'll that be all that those players need to continue to, you know, continue to be what they have been. But I will say, obviously, you still have to develop a good relationship with the person saying those words. So I'm not totally contradicting myself. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we don't know what the decision is going to be with who's going to be coordinator now and if it is someone from the outside, there's the idea that, you know, I don't think that Coach Elliott's going to really change the general ethos of this offense. Like, I think it's going to be what we've seen the last couple of years, and that was going to be the case with Coach Step and whoever comes in. But there might be some learning of a new offense and a, a real install that has to happen that we weren't expecting. And so that's part of the equation as well. But, like, at the end of the day, the players are driving this bus, and the players are going to be what gets – Georgia State, its first conference championship when that happens. And so that's still the case. And that's still ultimately what's going to drive the results next year. And the coordinators obviously have a big role to play in the game planning, the play calling and all of that. But players are going to, you know, if those players are like, we're going to win the Sunbelt championship. That's going to happen. Whoever's calling plays, you know, whoever is position coaching. And yeah, that's just the reality of it. Okay, so thanks, Carlos, for that question. We also had a second one from Mike from Marietta, who has a question specifically for Brady. He says, for Brady, what was your favorite meal in Pensacola? Uh, Pensacola. I, I didn't really get to talk about it that much um, earlier, but I, I did want to mention before I got into the question, just that definitely make plans to make that trip as long as this is in Pensacola. I think it's a good spot for the tournament. I stayed a little bit west of the city and it was basically 10 minutes or less to anywhere I wanted to get to, whether it was the arena or restaurants that were around. And it's Florida, it's nice weather. It's Georgia State is the like tied for third closest uh, Louisiana Lafayette. It's about the same distance between the two, but there's really no reason for Georgia State to not have a pretty good contingent because it's a really drivable, it's a pretty easy five-hour drive as far as five-hour drives go. And yeah, I definitely enjoyed my time there. And as far as the food question goes, uh, my honorable mention would be at a really nice apple pie from the media hospitality suite after the first game against Arkansas State that kind of got me over the finish line with doing what I needed to do after the game that night. Gave me a little bit of that extra juice. Um, but I think uh, the top I would go with uh, the shepherd's pie special that I had at McGuire's Irish Pub in Pensacola. And partly just because it's a comfort food thing. I think comfort food is my favorite genre of food at the end of the day, whatever type of food it is. I just feel like I'm always drawn to comfort rather than maybe exotic food as some other people might be. And doesn't really get any more comforty than just like potatoes beef, vegetables. Um, it was also $9.99 on special when I turned it into two meals. So that's part of the equation as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I go with. I really didn't have a bad meal. I would also want to say that, that I went to several places and 
tried some local places such as Fusakli's chicken, which I also recommend. Uh, it's pretty similar to Zaxby's, but it's only in like the Alabama and the Florabama part of Florida. And uh, yeah. I didn't go to Pensacola, but I would just like to shout out the Chinese buffet chow time. Every time I talk about Pensacola, completely unrelated from the Sunbelt tournament, I always mention chow time. So if anybody from chow time is listening to this podcast, thank you for some for making some bomb Chinese food. That is a place in Pensacola, right? You're not just shouting at some random place. No, like I have been to Pensacola. I have like I went there with my dad and my sister uh, many years ago, and it absolutely is a place in Pensacola. It is quite literally the only thing I remember eating on that trip. And I think about that place fondly. You can ask many people in my life like they know that I talk about that place and I'm not being ironic. I 100 percent. They give the David stamp of approval, whatever that means to anybody listening, that you if you like Chinese food and don't mind Chinese buffets, you absolutely should go to chow time. See, there you go. You got a bonus answer to your question, Mike. Yeah, well, I'll, from someone who wasn't even Pensacola this past week. Well, I guess when we, we make our triumphant return to Pensacola for next year's tournament coverage, we'll have to check that out. Usakli's is good stuff, though. I, uh, I'll echo you there. Right. And of course, the last thing this week's episode, Sports Bits, we've got all sorts of Georgia State stuff happening in the world of athletics, not nearly as much as the past couple weeks. So we'll go ahead and get this show on the road here. Baseball, of course, taking on Presbyterian on Friday at 5 p.m. in the GSU Baseball Complex as softball travels to number 20 Louisiana Lafayette at 7 p.m in Lafayette, Louisiana. And then next on a Saturday, women's tennis taking on Coastal Carolina and Atlanta time TBD softball continues with another game against Louisiana Lafayette in Louisiana at 3 p.m. Baseball taking on Presbyterian again for the second game in that series at four in Atlanta. And then Sunday, men's and women's tennis, both in action, men's tennis at Chattanooga in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, 1 p.m. Women's Tennis hosting Appalachian State in Atlanta. Time TBD Baseball with their third game in the Presbyterian Series at 1 p.m. And softball with their third game in the Louisiana Lafayette Series also at 1 p.m. And then on Tuesday, softball playing at Chattanooga in a doubleheader, 1 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. And baseball taking on Clemson in Clemson, South Carolina at 6 p.m. on ACC Network X, whatever that means. Yeah, uh, keep it locked here to Thursday night as we learn more about the Panthers tournament destination on selection Sunday. But until then we will see you later. Have a fantastic week and go Panthers.